Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Rip City! Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden, your Portland Trailblazers podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Dufour, joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Jason Quick. What is up, Jason? Hello, David. I'm not going to ask you the usual question, which is how you're doing, because we just talked for 30 minutes before the show. Uh, But I'm going to ask you the question that is on everyone's mind right now. Have you watched Tiger King? Yes, I have. Okay. Front to back. All right. I'm in, I'm like two and a half episodes in and I am pretty sure that that lady fed her husband to the tiger. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Um, Yeah. This show like, yeah, I I grew up in, in Virginia and uh, a lot of my family is like in rural Virginia. These people are very familiar to me. (laughs) Extremely like. Flashbacks. This is why we have our president. <laughs> These people right here. Oh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other people involved in that too, but uh, yeah, certainly right. not helping. Um, <laughs> how's your head feeling today? Got a headache? I don't know. I'm just not all there, David. I don't know what yeah. it is. I've been really busy though. I've got a bunch of stuff uh, in the works. I've been doing a bunch of interviews, getting ready to write a bunch of stuff. I, I've been as busy as I have during the regular season. So it's, it's a little bit crazy. I'm a little bit overwhelmed actually right now. But at least you don't have a headache like you were hanging out in New Orleans. No. <laughs> so, all right. I read your story yes. about gambling with Dale Davis. Yes. And it's perfect. I, I, love, I love the fact that you guys were both playing hurt the next day. Dale was just an absolutely beautiful guy to cover. I mean, he was funny, engaging. And you just never knew what you were going to get from him. And his whole, and he wasn't all about basketball. He he was really interested in music and in movies. He wanted to be a movie producer. I, I think actually right now he's in Atlanta and he's running a an agency, I think, similar to being like an agent, but I think for sports. But anyways, Dale was tremendously uh, well-rounded, really funny, and he was the type of guy who – when you happen upon him at a blackjack table, he would be like, dude, sit down. Come on. You're going to, you're going to play with us. So, uh, it was really fun. I, I was in New Orleans. Uh, this is back when New Orleans was in the Eastern conference. Uh, the Charlotte had just moved their franchise. So they were in the Eastern conference. So you only got, uh, one visit per year if you're the Blazers cause they're in the West. So you learn to take kind of, take advantage of your 
only stop in New Orleans. So I, I had a pretty good night. It's, I think it's the best NBA season or NBA city. And I was going to just kind of have a nightcap in New Orleans and go to the Harrah's and, and play a little bit of blackjack. And I did when I was leaving, I stumbled across Dale who was playing with his agent and a couple of, of his other friends and ended up sitting next to him and, and playing for, I want to say it was until like 5 a.m. And uh, it was just a blast. He was hilarious holding court. And uh, then the next day, there's the game. And I'm I'm hating it. Just not feeling <laughs> well at all. And uh, I've had about probably about five or six of those in my career where I've just had gone too hard the night before. Uh, probably the worst was I experienced a uh, St. Patrick's Day in Boston and oh, then had no. a game the next day. <laughs> um, and I, I do remember throwing up in a, in a trash can at shoot around. So, but anyway, I wasn't that bad uh, this day in, in New Orleans and uh, get to the game. Blazers, I think they're up at halftime. I'm kind of in a fuzz in a cloud. And uh, as the teams come out, I, I noticed that Dale's not out there. I'm like, what the heck? And they're getting ready to to tip off the second half. And it, there comes Arvidas Sabonis, who was coming off the bench at that time. He's coming out to to do the uh, to open the second half. And sure enough, about that time, the PR passes down uh, an injury report, and it says Dale Davis questionable to return with headaches. And uh, and I just I chuckled, shook my head, and was really act, you know. Played like I was uh, disappointed. And when I saw him after the game, I was like, come on, man. I was playing hurt. You got to play hurt, too. And he just kind of smiled. He en- he did end up coming back to the game uh, and, and ended up the game went to overtime. Kind of probably to punish both of us. But uh, he did come back and ended up playing 36 minutes in the game. But that was just an, another that was, it was just an insight into um, what a fun guy he was. He lived life. He still does live life, but he was fun to be around and he always uh, was looking to make people laugh. So did now, was this the only time that you guys ever hung out extracurricularly? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What about like in Vegas? Did you ever have any nights like that in Vegas? Not with him, but in general, like summer league? Uh, Well, yeah, this year. Um, <laughs> I was just about to say, didn't we have one? Yes, we had one. Yeah, yeah. we had one. Only Boy, I did. am an idiot, and I have to get up and be at the gym every day at seven a.m. David, if you recall, I had one of my greatest <laughs> Vegas uh, heaters when you I were remember. There. I remember I mean, it I was me, you, Mike Vorkanov. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bill Oram was there. Yeah, uh, I won thousands of dollars that night, and. Uh, Proceeded to lose it all by the time I left Vegas. And why? Wait, 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 wait. Why did I pay for the lift? Did you? Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Man. I think I, I did. I sat in I, front. Okay. I feel like I did. It's all coming out of the same <laughs> expense report. <laughs> uh. So, uh, what, what's your favorite Dale Davis story that isn't involving hangovers? Oh man. <laughs> I don't know because it was just I, I think probably the the time we raced 
we were at a practice in Portland and I can't remember if I had written in a story that he was slow or if I asked him a question uh, about kind of being this uh, lumbering type center. And he, he had taken exception to it and he kept coming at me in this group interview that you think I'm slow. You really think I'm slow? And I was like, well, I wouldn't call you quick. And he's like, I bet you I'm faster than you. And right then and there, we made a bet that we would have a race. And so it was, I think it was the next practice and, uh, and he was up to it and we got up there and I was fully confident that I was going to win this race. I was, I'm still young. Uh, I'm still in relatively good shape. And, uh, and he smoked me just absolutely smoked me. And it was over by, I mean, I, I got to the free throw line and he was already to half court because He's 6'11", and his strides were enormous. And I don't think, you know, obviously I've watched him every night play, but when you're standing right next to him and he takes that first stride, you're like, oh, my God, you're already, you know, six (laughs) feet ahead of me. And it was was really an eye-opener of just how incredible these guys are as athletes and, and what specimen they are. And... So it it was quite hilarious by how much he beat me and it was kind of caused a ruckus and Maurice Cheeks came out of his office. He's like, what the hell's going on out here? And they're like, yeah, Quickendale had a, had a race and, and Maurice was kind of not irritated, but he shook my head. Like you have no idea how good athletes these are or or how special these guys are. And I did, but that really drove it home when you, when you're standing right next to them and you actually race them and you see just how powerful and how, uh, did it's just amazing. And, uh, so that was funny. And there was another time, um, there were a couple of times where Dale and I, uh, after practice, uh, he'd, he'd want to play one-on-one. And so I, I try to like nutmeg him and stuff. And, uh, cheeks would always come running out and be like, Dale, no, no. What's going to happen if, you know, you roll an ankle or you hurt him or something? We're not having that. Then he'd always be dragging Dale off the court. But that was the type of guy Dale was. We'd be talking and he'd be like, well, let's shoot a little, you know. So I, I, he was one of my favorite players that, that I ever covered. And the hard part about it was, you know, he's part of one of the defining bad trades in Blazers history, you know. Yeah. Because they – they traded away Jermaine O'Neal, a young Jermaine O'Neal, uh, who went on to, you know, six consecutive all-star games with Indiana and probably one of their better players in franchise history. And, and Dale was Dale was okay. He was fine, but he he never got Portland over the hump. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that in the story. And, and it's easy in hindsight to knock it. But you also, I mean, you know, you had Rasheed Wallace. And Brian Grant there, he he wasn't going right. to get minutes, right? So in theory, at the time, it makes it made some sense. It did, but you know, Dale was a power forward at the time too. He ended up being used more as a center in Portland because Sabonis started breaking down, and uh, you know he started that first season actually as a center for the Blazers, and then later in his career in Portland, he was exclusively the center. Um, so I think a little bit of it was that that he was playing out of. A little bit out of position, but um, yeah, it was just a, 
you know, at the time, I think Portland obviously was in go for it mode. They were, you know, 13 minutes away from going to the NBA finals. Um, and, and they felt like they needed something to combat Shaq. And I, I think everyone found out that there was no answer to combating Shaq, that he was just such a immovable force of nature. So, but they gambled, they, they went for it and it, it didn't work spectacularly. Now, when you were planning out your storytelling features, did you plan to put out the Dale Davis piece about a guy that you really enjoyed your time with and who was always jovial and, and easy to deal with to come out <laughs> the same week as the Rashid Wallace, who was the exact opposite <laughs> to you? Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, the the first three installments of the Trailblazers Tales kind of series kind of had a lot to do with confrontation and mm-hmm. um, unrest. And, and I felt like that wasn't totally indicative of my time covering the team. Yeah, there were times where I was challenged and where I had, you know, some ugly moments with players, but there was also a lot of fun. And and so I wanted to show that, Hey, not all these guys are, are jerks. Not all of them are uh, trying to intimidate you that a lot of this job is fun. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been covering this team for more than 20 years if I wasn't having fun along the way at, at times. And, and Dale was certainly um, a guy who made those early years. They made it worth it. They made it, easy to come back to the, the job the next day, even though you knew you're going to have to deal with Rashid or, or Bonzi Wells um, or people of the like. But it, it, it's so weird because this job is, it's hard and there's no real manual for it. It's a, you have to be really fluid and on your feet and it, it takes a ton of like personal skills. You have to read the room a lot. You have to, adjusted different personalities and you know it it was a really tough time for me starting out it was a rough group Mm -hmm. but it was it it really made me gravitate more toward the people like dale and and damon stoudemire who were who probably saw it you know i i I was probably (laughs) in in hindsight looking back uh I, i was probably emitting a lot of uh not fear, but like it was getting to me, mm-hmm. you know, because it was day in, day out. It was hard. And I, I think they were a little sympathetic toward me and uh, they kind of opened themselves up without being really, really obvious about it. Um, but they they helped me get through those early years. And I think I'm a better reporter and I'm a better beat reporter, um, understanding the dynamics of a team, understanding people. And understanding the respect that is needed to be given to these players because it's really remarkable. I mean, this is a handful, a, a very small section of people on this planet who are good enough to play this game. And the, the work and the commitment that it takes to maintain that is amazing. And these guys just aren't rolling a ball out and playing. There's a lot that goes behind that. And I I think throughout the years, I've learned to appreciate that and and really hold that as an important element of my coverage that 
you you always need to respect the players and uh that doesn't mean you don't call them out when they when they do um have a misstep or something but i think you always need to put the players first that's what makes this league the league what it is so uh it's yeah. just interesting I, I i really appreciate all those guys from my early years in and how they shaped me i think just like a lot of jobs i mean just like your job it's very easy to think it's one thing right like your job yeah. to a lot of people is oh i'm you know you work in sports you work in basketball but that's not really the job i mean it's at least a small part of the job yeah the, it's you're, like, like your think, job is very much the relationship part the yeah it's like people think that coaching is just uh you know, making a lineup and, and making in-game adjustments. There's a ton of stuff that coaches go through dealing with the personalities and uh, what this move will mean to this guy and how he'll react and, and having a sense of the, of the locker room, where they're at. Do they need to practice? Am I running them too hard? All that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of that stuff that goes into uh, making that job. So it's similar to being a reporter. You have to, deal with people differently um, mm-hmm. from locker to locker. And, and you have to know when to, when you're being too hard on a team or when you need to back off and just let something breathe. I, I think the hardest thing, the thing that I've, I've enjoyed the most about being at the, at the athletic is that you're able to let situations breathe. When you're at a newspaper, there's a pressure to write something every game, not a pressure. There's a, I mean, you have to write something <laughs> yeah, every job. Game. Yeah. And so a lot of times just to have something to write, you, you write a story about something that happened that game as if, you know, it, it's the, the story of the, of the day of the night and it's splashed across the top of the newspaper. Well, sometimes that it's an overreaction because it's just a one-off and at the athletic, you're able to kind of step back and see, okay, is this, Will this keep developing as a trend? Is this really what's going on? And uh, I, I think that's what's one of the many things that's great about working out the, at the athletic is you're able to let situations breathe and develop and really see if there is something there rather than making a knee-jerk reaction uh, after a game because of one play or one outcome. And all of a sudden you're writing that this defines you know, this part of the season or or that game or, or whatever. So I don't know where it's going with that, but that's when you're recounting your, your stories, are you more likely to tell a story that was about a negative experience with a player or, and this is just personally not, not writing about it or a positive experience. Um, I don't know. It's more what moves me. I think Mm -hmm. Like these, these four that I just wrote about were so easy because they were very, um, they were very memorable and it was easy for me to recall because at the time it was like, holy crap, I can't believe Scottie Pippen just chewed me out or I can't believe Rasheed Wallace just charged at me. Those are easy to recall because they were very defining moments, very, you know, this does not happen every day type stuff. But Overall, I, I think I've said on this podcast before, I'm not a confrontational person. I, and I always try to look for uh, the positive. I, I like 
finding good in things and especially in people i'm gravitated toward uh the good in people and so so generally i I would like to write positive and good stories but for this series it was uh it was more just the kind of the big moments that have helped shape me uh in my career covering the blazers uh have you heard from a lot of a lot of people we work with about some of these stories this is like i i get that this is very like the athletic on the athletic but <laughs> mostly it's just me being curious um yeah like not a, have, not a no ton. Hmm. So I, I love like this stuff it gives me a little bit more insight into your job i've never worked a beat i have not obviously you know i work with a lot of beat writers and just to hear you know the good and the bad and the guys that you've had relationships with that are positive versus the guys that maybe are not and i got to admit some of them i'm i'm surprised by i'm not maybe i'm not surprised that you and rashid wallace you know didn't have any sort of relationship at all um but the dale davis story that's kind of interesting cuz he doesn't come across you know as the type of guy who would be the greatest with the media yeah or di- you know didn't when he was a player it was like very much like a tough guy yeah he had he liked carrying that kind of persona this uh tough guy persona you know the the hardest player for me and i haven't decided yet if i'm going to write one on this but bonzi wells was really challenging and he was like on each end of the spectrum i mean there were times when bonzi and i were great together and he really took a liking to me kind of felt that i understood him and the and the rest of the team particularly early when i got on the on the beat and then we had some just awful times i mean he threw a ball six inches above my head uh at practice once i came in they let all the media in he threw it above my above my head and he was upset that the night before I had written that he had flipped off fans from the huddle. And then he threw a a water bottle in disgust onto the court. And he tried to dispute that. And as it happened, I think the team went back and looked at the video and they saw that he had indeed flipped off a fan, that he had indeed had thrown a bottle onto the floor and they ended up suspending him. And he was pissed at me for for doing that. But it it was really. it was an interesting time, I think, in his career and, and in my career because uh, he was still trying to find himself, I think. And, and just this, I think he, he even gave me a, a quote once that, that he could be the deacon of the church one day. And I can't remember what he said the other, what, what the other spectrum was. But I remember I can be the deacon of a church one day and, I don't know, Satan the next or something. But. <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he had a very, he had very wild mood swings, I would say. And, uh, so that made it very interesting to cover him. I mean, the most famous thing is, uh, in Portland, I think people who've been here this long remember him saying, I blacked out, I blacked out because there was some incident. I don't, I don't know if it was him spitting on Danny Ferry or if it was some, one of his other transgressions, but. Uh, when he was brought to the media, he kept saying that, uh, I don't know, I blacked out. And uh, that was pretty bizarre. 
What was it, uh, the thing from Breaking Bad? It was a fugue state. <laughs> he doesn't remember doing it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so what's uh, what's coming out next week? What do we have to look forward to? Uh, I have the I'm alert gonna... set, by the way. So every time a new Jason Quick story posts, <laughs> it pops up on my phone. For some reason, it's not popping up on my iPad. So I gotta. I think I gotta reinstall the app. Right. Um, because you know I like to read it on, get it on the bigger screen. But uh, so what do we have to look forward to? I'm gonna. Uh... I'm doing a story on Anthony Simons, kind of on the struggles of his uh, his first chance of getting a, a playing time in the NBA. It was a rough season for Anthony. Yeah, and he was he was pretty um, he was pretty honest in addressing that. Uh, so I'm gonna write a little Anthony story. I'm also gonna do uh, a two part thing where the the five best things about this season for the Blazers and the five worst things this season about the Blazers. And then I'm also working on a story on uh, kind of a growing trend in the NBA, I think, and especially with the stoppage and play is uh, gaming, video games, Call of Duty. A lot of NBA players are really, I think a lot of NBA players play video games, but now that they don't have practices and can't leave the house, their video game usage has spiked and the person at kind of the head of that is Myers Leonard, the former blazer player. And he is regarded as one of the better uh, call of duty players in the NBA. And they actually had a tournament last week, uh, a five on five tournament Myers team won, but Ben Simmons was named the MVP of the tournament and Myers was not hot about it, but felt that it was a travesty. And anyways, Myers says that he he ranks himself as number one in the NBA, uh, Ben Simmons two, Devin Booker three, De'Aaron Fox four, Josh Hart five, and Mario Hazonia six. So uh, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to write this strictly from a Myers angle or I'm trying to, through our athletic network, try to get other player, other reporters to get those players and say, okay, who is the best at this? And and what do you get out of video gaming? And it's interesting because it, it's it's a it's a way for players to a not get in trouble, uh, b stay off their feet because uh, that's a big thing with NBA players. They're on their mm-hmm. feet. They pound so much. And if, if you've ever seen NBA players' feet, it's like their feet, their uh, toenails are all. Uh, purple and black because yeah. of how much pounding they do. And so it's really important for them to stay off their feet and uh video game playing video games is one of those uh ways. So anyways, <laughs> this is going to sound disgusting. I don't know. I don't know how the uh what the angle is going to be quite yet. Uh this is going to sound disgusting, but uh I I now haven't coached for about 2 years. Um this is the first time in my life that I've had pinky toenails. <laughs> from hard stopping in a basketball shoot. Right. Um yeah, my my pinky my pinky toes are jacked from playing basketball. So um I can yeah, I can I can attest to the <laughs> to the busted toes. Yeah, my my first exposure to that was Shaquille O'Neal. I I told you guys that story of uh following Shaquille that in in 2000 and when we finally sat down, he had uh purple and gold painted toenails. And I was like, what is up with that? 
And he's like, you know, our, our toenails are not good to look at. So I thought I might as well paint them. And uh, <laughs> so that, I, I found that was interesting. He had purple and gold toenails. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this week, folks. We'll be back next week with more from the Rose Garden. Both things play hard. <laughs>